This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The rush to reopen. We can see a future where we don't have to have COVID-19 ruling our lives. As the U.S. drops its mask mandate for the fully vaccinated, how long before we do the same? The suspect in a verbal attack at the drive-thru. Oh, how nice. The racist threats that'll make you lose your appetite. And breaking the ban on non-essential travel. We're uh, pleased with the way that the enforcement is, uh, is going. A motorist from the mainland busted for a road trip that shouldn't have happened. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Well, after a momentous day south of the border where most restrictions are being lifted for those fully vaccinated, many are wondering when we will get back to normal. Dr. Bonnie Henry sat down for an exclusive interview with our Richard Zussman, who pushed for answers. Restrictions in B.C. have been in place for months and expect them to last at least a little bit longer. We've learned this from what we've seen around the world, from what's happened here in B.C. in the past. We need to go slow and steady, so you will not see any change until after the May long weekend. In a wide-ranging interview, Dr. Bonnie Henry tempering restriction expectations. The province is working on Restart 2.0, but it won't be out for weeks. A new place, a new restart, um, so you can expect after the May long weekend that slowly and surely we'll be getting back to some of those important things in our lives. For the restaurant industry, the uncertainty of when they can reopen is hard to swallow. We need to have some notice here. We just can't just open tomorrow. We have to find staff and supplies. It's still unclear when the province will encourage non-essential travel across BC. As for movie theatres and playhouses, it's still going to be a while. When we come to July, when we come to the summer, um, we'll be able to have those important arts events again too. At the Rio Theatre, frustration has been high for months. And its owner is pushing for the curtains to rise far before July. We feel strongly that um, if we're basing this on safety, that cinemas should be open the same time as bars and restaurants. Amateur sport games have also been on ice for months. I hope outdoor sports can be keeping score again soon. I would say give it some time. <laughs> yes, so slowly transitioning back into local games, uh, then uh, games with uh, um, being able to move around a bit more over time. And how about those big-time sports at Rogers Arena or BC Place? Later in the summer, um, into the fall, we'll be looking at spectators for sure. I'd love to see the Canucks next, next season. And although Canucks fans have lost hope for this year, Henry wants British Columbians to be hopeful for what's ahead, even though it's taking longer than hoped to get there. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a look at the numbers today. We have 587 new cases, bringing BC's total to 137,610, with 5,691 of those cases active. 413 people are in hospital, 141 of them in the ICU. Health officials are also reporting five more deaths. 
Keith Baldry joins us now to talk a little bit more about those so-called breakthrough cases. And Keith, those mm. are people who are getting sick even after they've been vaccinated. Yeah, we get a, a lot of questions on that issue, as is public health. So today, uh, interesting statistics coming from Dr. Bonnie Henry. They looked at uh, all the cases since our immunization began in late December, about 78,000 cases uh, of the people who were not not getting vaccinated. 78,000 people got COVID-19. But of the people who were vaccinated, the number of people getting sick is far lo uh, lower. Uh, less than 2% of, of all the cases since December 27th are among people who've actually been vaccinated with one or two doses. And most most of them, again, are after one dose, but like 1,400 people out of compared to 78,000 with COVID-19. So again, Dr. Bonnie Henry today pointed out, basically, this means our vaccines are very safe right now. And of the people who got sick, only a relatively small number of them became seriously ill. Here's Dr. Henry. It takes some time for your body's immune system to respond to the vaccine and develop those protective levels of both antibodies and the cells in your body that help protect you long term. Of the uh, 1,340, 141 people were hospitalized. 13 people ended up in ICU, needing ICU care, and we have had 30 deaths. So again, very low numbers of uh, uh, cases for people who get the vaccine and then become ill with COVID-19. doesn't really happen with any great uh, regularity, less than 2% of the cases. Now, again, when it comes to vaccination, some great news. Starting at the beginning of next week, everyone over the age of 18 can start to register for a vaccine and book their appointment. The goal is to get that needle in as many arms as quickly as possible. And now we're getting so much vaccines. The age rollout plan is basically for everyone starting next week. Some uh, positive news for once. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. And we mentioned that momentous day south of the border. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control have eased their guidelines for indoor mask wearing, something our provincial health officer says will have to wait. Aaron MacArthur tells us why. It's taken the better part of 14 months, but the U.S. looks to be putting the pandemic in the rearview mirror. Thursday, a major change in policy. According to the Centers for Disease Control, vaccinated people can ditch the masks indoors. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. Well, today is a great day for America. The Biden administration and governors across the U.S. had been criticized in recent weeks for not moving more quickly on reopening plans. Within hours of the CDC announcement, Washington state indicated it will be removing most restrictions on indoor activities by the end of June. And there's a chance that we could reopen our state sooner if we can get 70% of our eligible population over 16 to initiate their vaccinations by then. The U.S. is miles ahead of Canada when it comes to vaccination rates. B.C. just this week ticked over 50% coverage for one shot. A third of all Americans are now fully vaccinated with two doses. In B.C., the prospect of going maskless indoors is still a ways off, but it is getting closer. Vaccination rates, just one of the factors being considered. We're also looking at the, the trends in transmission in our communities. And I know we, we spend a lot of time thinking about the day-to-day -day numbers, but really it's, it's how do we look at uh, the numbers over time. Without vaccine passports, proving protection will be challenging. But as vaccination rates increase, the science shows transmission falls. The new mask order, another incentive for people 
to get their jabs. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Road checks resume today to enforce the province's non-essential travel ban. But these are not the only places where you could be fined for breaking the rules. A North Vancouver driver has found that out the hard way. Kylie Stanton has more on where the person was caught and what the legal ramifications are. There's a saying on the island, slow down, this ain't the mainland. In fact, there's even a bumper sticker. And sometimes those from the big city find out the hard way. Upon speaking with the driver and uh, getting his information, he discovered that the person was from North Vancouver. According to the BC Highway Patrol, the vehicle was stopped on the Malahat May 1st for more than one driving offence, including speeding. When officers inquired about the purpose of the driver's travel, the reason was deemed non-essential, only adding to the fines. Issued the individual a $575 ticket under the Emergency Program Act and directed the individual to return to the Lower Mainland. British Columbians are currently barred from non-essential travel between three health regions, Vancouver Island, the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley, and the Interior and North. COVID-19 check stops have been set up at highways 1, 3, 5 and 99, but so far no tickets have been issued. This one on the Malahat is believed to be the first. What goes to show, fines can be handed out anytime, anywhere. There is a penalty in place if, if they don't follow the, uh, the orders. They got nabbed because they were speeding. Um, and uh, they've now got a pretty hefty fine to pay. But there's concern this sets a dangerous precedent. The government promised us that there wasn't going to be random stopping of motor vehicles, but this ticket opens the door to police conducting these investigations while enforcing other provisions of the Motor Vehicle Act. And the advice to drivers? Do not say anything. Stare straight ahead. Don't even acknowledge the question. You have no legal obligation to answer that question, and police should not be asking that. Generally, the motoring public is complying with the orders. And uh, certainly appreciated. Still, this is not the time to let up on enforcement. The COVID-19 check stops are back up and running through the weekend. In the meantime, this first ticket serves as a warning to others. It's probably best to get on island time and just slow down. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The RCMP is giving a makeover to the unit that patrols British Columbia's highways. Kylie mentioned it in her package. The force released new branding for the BC Highway Patrol. The new look will affect the 455 officers and the civilians who make up the force. The Highway Patrol will be responsible for traffic enforcement and serious criminal uh, collision investigations. Their motto? Making our highways safer together. Well, the past year and a half have been the worst of times for BC's pubs and restaurants, with closures and restrictions decimating the industry. Now they're calling on the government for more help, asking for a support package to help them get more than 45,000 workers here in BC back on the job and kickstart the post-pandemic recovery. Ted Chernecki reports. Like so many restaurants in BC, Savio Volpe on Kingsway has had to pivot. More pickup and delivery, and right now, no dining in at all. It's too bad because one of its selling points was the Italian rustic atmosphere inside. The owner believes he's only still in business because of those wage and rent subsidies. It's really made the difference between profit and loss on a monthly basis. And without the wage and rent subsidy this past year, I would venture to say 99.9% uh, .9 of restaurants would not have made it to this point. 
Canada's food service industry says it needs to first survive if it's to revive. There won't be much resuscitating when it comes time to reopen if the restaurant's already dead as that doornail that's kept everything closed for so long. Information from a Restaurants Canada survey suggests 8 out of 10 restaurants are barely hanging on, with a full 45% of owners saying they're consistently losing money for more than a year. 70% of those say it could take more than a year to turn a profit, and they say do not stop the subsidies. Because if you start winding these down in the summer, just as we're starting to get back to some sort of semblance of normal, we're probably going to have close to 50% of our restaurateurs shut down businesses, and of course we're going to have even more layoffs. So the industry's calling on Ottawa for an exemption. Continue rent and wage benefits until at least April next year. And among other things, it wants partial forgiveness of government loans and tax credits, as well as to know what's ahead. Be communicative. Um, be supportive. Be responsible. And let us know what is going on. Uh, I don't want to be listening to Bonnie Henry on May 25th or whatever day, post May long, and she says, OK, you can open up tomorrow. Thank you, but give us some notice. Stats Canada's April Labour Force survey says of the half million jobs still missing in the Canadian economy since COVID, 71% are from the food service sector. And for BC, that means 45,000 restaurant jobs have not recovered. Ted Chernetti, Global News. A family targeted by a racist tirade at the drive-thru, capturing most of it on dash cam. What started it at this Richmond Burger King and the search for the suspect? Next on the NewsHour. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Dirty money and drugs pulled off the streets. Surrey RCMP celebrate a major bust in their gang crackdown. Coming up on the News Hour. And officers probably thought, are you kidding? As they hoofed it to a call to wrangle some restless goats. That's all coming up later, too. Right now, though, RCMP and Richmond are looking for a man accused of hurling vicious anti-Asian insults at a Richmond drive-thru. Police aren't sure what's behind the attack, but as Nitu Garcha reports, police say that kind of abuse has no place in their city. Fuck you, fuck your fucking Chinese mother! Disturbing moments in this Richmond drive-thru caught on camera. Yeah, I'm fooled, but I can kill you. The verbal tirade happening at this Burger King in Ironwood Plaza, leaving some staff shaken and scared. He doesn't feel safe at all in such an environment, right? The guy, the way he was ranging, 
totally unacceptable. Everybody was little scared on that day. The restaurant manager not there herself, but hearing from an employee who says it started with a man approaching this window on foot. And then from where he started making racial comments, my employee offered him a mask like, sir, I can get you quickly a mask so you can wear it and come into the lobby. He then reportedly walked up to a family in an SUV about to order food and then started yelling profanities and racist slurs when another man tried to intervene. He's the one who posted these videos online, but it wasn't reported to police right away. Say it again. How nice are you? In this case, it took well over a couple days for someone to come forward. And that in itself delayed our investigation from the outset. Nearly two weeks after the May 1st incident, police releasing this photo asking for the public's help to identify this man. Our investigators are now actively investigating this as a hate incident. They will be investigating it both from a criminal perspective and also they'll be looking at possible mental health aspect of this as well. I can't believe that even happened here. Yeah, that's disgusting. Public outrage over this latest occurrence amid an overwhelming increase in anti-Asian actions. The people committing hate crimes often rely on the fact that the victims are silent about it. Has organizations like the Movement for Asian Lives calling for barriers to reporting incidents to be reduced. Police also has to be on board to do something about it and investigate and come up with a solution, and, and, and we have to have a seat at the table. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Richmond. Up ahead, the pandemic takes a big toll on learning. We're also facing a $12.5 million shortfall. What's driving major layoffs and cutbacks in your child's education? And the future of medicine, why the best prescription might be written in your genes. There is still no timeline for the return of international air travel, and you might be surprised by how that's going to impact B.C. students. Most school boards rely on revenue from international students, but with so few of them coming, school boards are forced to lay off staff and cut programs. Here's John Waugh. The program invites international students to come here and learn. While school districts land the extra cash desperately need it to help balance the books. These revenues were making up to 10% of uh, or more of some budgets for some districts. But travel restrictions connected to the COVID-19 pandemic has caused international enrollment and tuition to plummet, leaving teachers concerned about drastic cuts. There's proposed cuts now for um, approximately 40 permanent teachers. Uh, and that means um, you know fewer supports in the classroom. The hit to Burnaby's budget is significant. In 2019-2020, international student and out-of-province tuition accounted for $25.6 million, or 10% of total operating revenue. But this school year, that tuition money dropped down to $13.9 million, or 6.5% of the district's operating revenue. These districts are running a really tight ship. There's no fat... There's no fat to cut. Still to deal with the shortfall, discussions have started on what might not make the grade. Education assistance. Minus 10 full-time positions. Grade 7 banned. Down two full-time teachers. Custodial staff. Down six people. The reading recovery program. X marks a loss of $715,000. A major fail advocates say for students in need. It's, someone, it's someone's child at a school that's not getting the services they need. It's, it's 
schools that become unsafe during a pandemic. Rizworski argues international student tuition should be in addition to, not in place of, stable provincial funding. Districts are in a process establishing their budgets. That is a very typical process right now. And we'll see in September what the actual uh, outcome of, of that is. Teachers say you don't need to wait to see the significant loss in international student tuition. Warning parents unless the province picks up the tab. Expect a turbulent school year ahead. John Hua, Global News. After nearly 100 years in service, Greyhound is permanently cutting all bus routes across the country. The decision is a blow to many rural and remote communities. Now, service in Western Canada was first suspended back in 2018 due to plunging passenger demand. The motor coach company put the brakes on its remaining routes a year ago due to pandemic restrictions and says the erosion of Fairbox revenue has made it impossible to operate. Greyhound Lines, the company's American affiliate, will resume cross-border routes to Vancouver, Montreal and Toronto once travel restrictions are lifted. Just ahead, endangered falcons living in a blasting zone. It's a 50-meter no-disturbance buffer. The people trying to protect birds that picked a bad place to nest. Also tonight, how a former fire chief is fighting for his life after a lifetime of saving others. The RCMP are releasing details about what they call a multi-million dollar blow to Metro Vancouver crime groups. The massive drug bust is being touted as just the latest in a series of stepped-up measures to tackle the deadly gang war. Catherine Urquhart reports. At an afternoon press conference, the RCMP revealed photos of a large-scale drug lab they busted in Port Coquitlam in April. Officers also located 37 kilograms of chemicals associated to the manufacturing of pure fentanyl. Police said no arrests have been made and they wouldn't say which gang may be linked to the lab, but they said it is a success. This drug and chemical seizure has dealt a multi-million dollar blow to organized crime and gangs in BC. The announcement comes amid a spike in gang activity, which included a brazen daytime shooting at Vancouver International Airport that left one man dead. During a chase, the suspects fired at police, and they remain at large. The day before, a 19-year-old was shot and killed in Burnaby, and an innocent bystander was also struck. A suspect was arrested and charged. More arrests are a top priority, say the Mounties, who have deployed additional officers to do curfew checks and targeted enforcement. Also, they're increasing use of specialized equipment, such as automatic license plate readers. The ALPR is capable of instantly reading multiple plates and identifying stolen plates, vehicles of interest, and even individuals with warrants. But will that be enough to stop the bloodshed? BC's Solicitor General met with Metro Vancouver Police Chiefs Thursday to discuss the recent gang shootings and possible solutions. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. RCMP in Surrey corralled a bunch of kids who were up to no good, and we've got the pictures to prove it. Officers were called out to wrangle four runaway goats in the area of the 15600 block and Highway 10 on Tuesday evening. Members quickly worked together to secure the escapees and returned them to their owner unharmed. Surely the adventurous animals now have some great stories to share with their friends out in the pasture. No kidding. 
Well, the public is being asked to avoid part of the Stanley Park seawall after a pair of coyote attacks this morning. The conservation office says a woman was bitten in the leg while running along the seawall at around 10 a.m. The attack happened along the seawall between Siwash Rock and Third Beach. Conservation officers responded immediately but couldn't find the animal. They later found out that a second woman had been bitten in the very same area. Both joggers received minor injuries. Conservationists out in the Fraser Valley say an Abbotsford quarry is threatening the nest of some rare peregrine falcons. And they say the agreement between the quarry and the provincial government isn't good enough to protect the birds and their eggs. Paul Johnson reports. Peregrine falcons, one of nature's most awe-inspiring predators. Think of a fighter plane on steroids. Able to reach speeds of more than 300 kilometers an hour, they are the fastest creatures in the animal kingdom. So no surprise, the nesting pair that set up house on this cliffside east of Abbotsford has attracted attention and concern. Common sense tells you that you are disturbing the nest. The dust is going in there. You've got the bouncing of the rocks down there. What's prime habitat for threatened falcons is also the site of a gravel quarry, fully permitted and geared up to work in the midst of a commodity boom. Their operations mean the noise of heavy machinery, falling rock and dust, and blasting. The provincial government says they've ordered the company to stay at least 50 meters away from that nest and 100 meters away if they're doing any blasting. But the conservationists here say they don't think that's adequate to protect the birds. It's a 50-meter no-disturbance buffer. They need to define what a disturbance is. The conservationists say they asked the company, Mountainside Quarries, if they could postpone work until the chicks have flown. A spokesperson for the company told Global News that since the province has signed off on it, they intend to carry out the work they're legally entitled to do. This site is incredibly valuable, and this particular pair is incredibly valuable because they have the... uh, highest reproductive output over the past five years of any of the other um, pairs in the uh, in the region. One of only a handful of nesting pairs between Hope and the coast. Neighborhood Kids Thursday named them Fluffy and Falco in the hopes that brings more attention and a more secure future for them. In Abbotsford, Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, when it comes to medications, one size does not fit all, and some say current prescribing methods are outdated. That's why a growing number of companies are offering pharmacogenetic testing. Global's Suling Go explains. This is the personalized insight for pain and mental health. Debbie Roberge ordered pharmacogenetic testing from a Toronto company, hoping to know which antidepressants would work best for her before she tries them. It's like an x-ray or a CT or an MRI for, for your pharmacy needs as far as I'm concerned. One day, this type of testing is going to be completely mainstream. Inagene is one of a number of companies now offering this personalized medicine service. Clients swab their cheek, then the cells are analyzed for genetic variants that can affect how they process all kinds of drugs. If it's a red, it's a do not use medication. It means that there are genes in your system that uh, will not make this medication work. Dr. Tony Kang studies how genes can affect anti-rejection drugs after transplant surgery. Some patients may metabolize or break down the drug more quickly or more efficiently than the others. And um, 
these patients may require higher dosage. And slow metabolizers could have a medication build up in their body, increasing the risk of adverse reactions. Dr. Kang feels traditional prescribing needs to change. Currently, drugs are prescribed uh, empirically for most cases, which means that uh, most people would get similar dosage. Dr. Lisa Gerges says the trial and error approach is also common, especially for antidepressants. Half of patients do not find relief in their first med, then need to be weaned off before they can try another. In the pharmacy, we see people coming in who are very discouraged. They're facing um, depression and anxiety, and they're trying to get help, and they're waiting months, if not years. According to Debbie's test, the antidepressant she was on is red. I realized, well, no wonder it's not working well for me. This Edmonton nurse is now trying one her results recommended. She's also had her daughter tested for future use. This brings a lot of hope to me for a lot of people that I've seen and for us. Like, I I wouldn't do it any other way. Sulingo, Global News. Up next, life lessons in eelgrass. It's a hideout for fish. First Nations students preserving the environment and their culture with the best classroom in the world. And heroes of Lynn Canyon, how they saved a man's life when it looked like all hope was lost. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A group of First Nations students in North Vancouver got some hands-on conservation education today while helping with the restoration of a local ecosystem. Yeah, it's amazing what you can learn from eelgrass. And as Linda Aylesworth shows us, it's all part of a unique, mostly outdoor curriculum. On the shores of Burrard Inlet in North Vancouver, class has begun. Who can tell me what... The long bit is this part. Leaf. That's the rhizome, right? Today's lesson for the students of Slaywa Tooth Nation School eelgrass. So, Cassius, what have you learned about eelgrass? It's a hideout for fish, so they can hide from predators. And it's a home for crabs. Our school is a land based, um, hands on experiential learning school. We spent like much of our day outdoors. To look at a picture, you could see an ale of grass, but to actually touch it, you get you get to that personal feeling of you know what what it actually is. The students are learning how vital eel grass is, and not just for young fish and invertebrates. Want to see something cool? It all basically starts with this, and it just goes up to like the larger animals. And if we want larger animals, we're going to need this as well. Problem is, eelgrass meadows throughout the province have been depleted by years of industry and development. Restoring it begins with divers, who harvest eelgrass shoots from healthy nearby meadows. We're just going to bring them up so the volunteers can uh, start tying them so we can put put them back in the water. This is where the students come in. They carefully tie metal washers to the base of the chutes to help weigh them down for the next step. Then we'll give those eelgrass back to the divers and they'll take them to a spot where uh, the eelgrass bed has a gap or is patchy and they'll plant the eelgrass down. The project is a win-win for the students and the environment. The more they are connected with the land here, um, they, they are revitalizing the knowledge that has been practiced here for um, over 13,000 years. 
It's important that we help with what we can now so that we can have a future for our kids. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A seasonal ban on wood stove and fireplace use in the Lower Mainland comes into effect this weekend. That's right. Metro Vancouver says wood-burning appliances are the most significant source of harmful fine particulate matter in the region. As a result, their indoor use is being prohibited between May 15th and September 15th starting this year. The plan is to phase them out entirely by 2025. The exceptions are for homes where wood burning is the only source of heat. And in the case of emergencies, people are being offered up to $400 to transition to more efficient appliances. All right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at the forecast. But just on the topic of, uh, of wood-burning stoves and fireplaces, Christy, there's a reason why um, they're particularly concerned in the summer. You're exactly right, Sophie, and one of the reasons is because we tend to get more accumulation or that fine particulate matter trapped in the lower atmosphere during the summer months. And here's the reason why. In a typical or normal sort of uh, atmospheric conditions, we tend to have colder air above warmer air. So that allows for the emissions to be distributed in the atmosphere. And this happens more often in the winter times, but in the summer months, we tend to get more of a high pressure above that actually traps that uh, emission of that fine particulate matter in the lower atmosphere. And in fact, we are seeing that type of a high pressure in place right now. So it creates a bit of an inversion or trapping effect. And that's why we tend to get more accumulation and why they're banning it. There's the high pressure ridge that's over us right now. It's not a super strong one, but enough that it would trap in those emissions in this type of scenario. And it's going to be in place for the next several days. So tomorrow, another hot sunny one. Pull out the sun sunscreen everyone 23 degrees away from the water and we're going to see high uv index those of you in the fraser valley though very high a lot of the action tomorrow will be across the north coast unfortunately you are the target with cloud and a risk of thunderstorms in the afternoon but plenty of sunshine across the south with mid-20s in the interior and low 20s expected away from the water not only tomorrow in the lower mainland but across the south coast and we'll see that right through sunday the next chance of rain at this point is on monday with cloud and showers back in the forecast and as i mentioned that uv index will be high tomorrow and uh, into the next few days tonight's central windows weather window from lake couch in area lillian gavin this is her backyard wouldn't that be nice to be able to enjoy the view of the lake and uh, a beautiful garden that you have there and someone's car alarm is going off <laughs> lillian's lillian's backyard would is so nice it almost drowns out that car alarm <laughs> Hey, that's that's one of the hazards of doing it from home. Right? That's true. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. A special ceremony in North Vancouver for special people who helped save a life. Nadia Stewart has the story of two good Samaritans who helped prevent yet another Lynn Canyon tragedy. A low-key award ceremony for a rescue that was anything but. We had an opportunity to recognize uh, two of our uh, local citizens that uh, played a significant role in a fairly traumatic incident that we had uh, back on March 26. It all started when a family out for a day trip in Lynn Canyon Park found themselves in a serious situation. A 60-year-old man slipped and fell into Lynn Creek. He was face down and 
when we pulled him out, uh, I realized he wasn't breathing. So That's Craig Volweider, an officer cadet who spoke with Global News shortly after taking part in the rescue. He's now one of two individuals receiving an award for performing life-saving CPR. Uh, to keep uh, a level head, to not rush, and to not lose patience, I had to keep, keep going. And especially when he caught his breath the first time and stopped breathing for the second time was another frantic moment. While he was trying to keep the man alive, Veronica Petkoff was running back and forth along the trail, helping first responders locate the victim. Close to 3.84 kilometers extra that I ran on my Strava that day. And it's not just, it wasn't just running, it was like up about 200 steps each time I had to run back to the trailhead. Uh, just a recognition, uh, the your actions uh, had a significant uh, impact on the events of the day. Neither so of them we were expecting the this award. Only about 10 have been handed out by the North Vancouver District Fire and Rescue Service. We know that the immediate actions on scene have some of the biggest impacts um, uh, and, and a lot of times before we get a chance to get there. Nadia Stork, Global News. Well done. All right, Squire joins us uh, now. And who would have thought back when uh, Pedersen first left the, the ice that we'd never see him again for the rest of the season? Well, because it was day to day. And then it was week to week. Then it was month to month. And now it's just he's not coming back until next season. They've officially shut down Elias Pedersen for this year. He's going to end up missing 31 games of our season. And uh, that's a lot. I mean, when you think about it, there really was no point bringing him back now since all the games from here on out are meaningless. Good point. Also tonight, a hero's parade for a former firefighter battling ALS. What he's doing for other patients, too. I mean, Squire, when you think about it, aren't we all day to day? <laughs> really? It is true, actually. These days, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like, you know, when you say, you got to play like there's no tomorrow. Well, <laughs> I don't know what that means either. But, yes, you're right. We are all day to day. Um, I mean, if there was no tomorrow, why would we even play? Uh, with the rest of the season being just for posterity's sake, the uh, Canucks have decided to shut down Elias Pedersen for the rest of the year, which makes sense since he hasn't played since March 2nd with the uh, most secretive injury in Canucks history. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the injury itself right now. I think there's there's a time and place for that, probably at the end of the season. But I can tell you that we were hopeful that he was going to play. We weren't being coy about it. We wanted him back. He's obviously a huge part of our team. And like you said, he's going to end up missing 31 games of our season. And uh, that's a lot. Well, the Canucks are in Calgary tonight. They'll see a lot of the flames before the season ends next week. And how about this? Now, this is rare. A Matthew Highmore goal. He rarely scores goals in the NHL, but he tips this one in to give Vancouver the 1-0 lead over the Flames. But Calgary gets it back. Now, fans of the Flames and Canucks, they don't want to see a lot of wins from here on out because wins equal a worse draft position. That's Rasmus Anderson scoring to make it 1-1, and then there are no Canucks anywhere near Andrew Mangiampani, and Mangiampani scores to make it 2-1, and that's the score after one. Well, just like the BC Hockey League, which we talked about yesterday, the uh, Western Hockey League felt a short season was better than no season at all. Kamloops was number one in the BC division in this short season. Good season. 18 wins, four losses. The Giants were second in the standings, but really the short season was more about 
the players and who won and who lost. Sort of. Pass to the center, drop pass, Nielsen scores! In a typical year, the Western League would be crowning its champion right about now, but in this unique COVID season, WHL teams and players are just thankful they even got to play some hockey. For the Vancouver Giants, it was 22 games over two months in the Kamloops bubble. As hard as it was to be in, in, in a hotel for two months, these kids really, you could just see them, they were so happy. For two months straight, we, we hung out, we ate together, and they just got along. So it, it was incredibly beneficial to their mental health as well as their hockey development. So it was really a positive experience to be around. The main reason the league decided to play at all was to get draft-eligible players a chance to show their skills to the scouts, and the Giants made sure their players were ready from the first puck drop. We had some National Hockey League scouts uh, be guest uh, appearances on Zoom meetings with the players, our entire team, and they kind of said what they might be looking for so that the kids understand how important this short season was and that on every single night people are going to be watching them. The Giants, like everyone, are looking forward to a return to normalcy. Typically, the Western League season starts in mid-September, and if all goes well, fans will be back after an 18-month hiatus. I got my, my, my vaccine today, and I did it at the Langley Event Centre, and it was uh, emotional to be back in the Langley Event Centre and see the seats, and, you know, I haven't been there in, in the arena part for over a year. You know what, I can't wait to get that feeling back in that building, can't wait to see the fans there. We just got to push and push, get through this, everybody do their part, and, and hopefully that it's back to normal when we are going. The Vancouver Whitecaps had as many chances to score in one game last night as I've seen them have in certain months. They deserved to beat Minnesota, but they lost 1-0. And so often is the case in sports. If you don't score on your numerous chances, you anger the sports gods and they make you lose. The whole thing not only left the Whitecaps frustrated, they were pretty angry as well. Our guys are livid today and they're, they're, they're frustrated is because we find we f we think we created so many chances to score and we didn't score. Beats it out in front and to Hobe. Team eyes for the box, cuts to the middle. He's got some room on the right foot. Sent ahead, Cavallini. He's in all alone. Lucas Cavallini. Especially for a away game, in a away game, it's hard to create as much, and we did. We did create, and I feel that we lost the game and probably. Um, one of our most complete games this season. Blue Jays and Braves from Atlanta, top of the ninth. Bo Bichette, this double to right center. Two runs scored. The Jays actually had four in that inning and led 8-4. And I want you to watch this next highlight. Watch Jordan Romano on the mound for Toronto to finish this game off. And watch Vladdy Guerrero behind him imitating Jordan Romano, who does this weird thing right here. And Guerrero's doing the same thing behind him. I'm not sure what that thing is. Maybe stretch out his pants or something, but whatever the case, it worked. Blue Jays win it 8-4. Uh, All right. Dennis Shapovalov against Rafael Nadal on the clay. Italian Open. Rafa's won this nine times. Shapovalov won the opening set and was up three love in the second set. But on clay, Rafael Nadal is like Deadpool. You can't kill him. He just keeps coming back. And he came back. And he won this in a match that lasted three hours and 20 seven minutes. Good run by Shapovalov, but it is Rafa and it is Clay, and that's usually the result.
And there you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a former fire chief still fighting to save lives, including his own. Well, there's nothing like the support of a whole community when you're facing a life challenge. Yeah, Ron Cross is a former Surrey fire chief, but he's in the advanced stages of ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And as Jay Durant reports, his friends, family and former colleagues are holding out hope that help could be on the way. At times, the emotions are overwhelming. So many lives that Ron Cross has touched. Love you guys. Love you guys. This wasn't a retirement celebration. That was eight years ago. This was simply a show of support. But still, Ron got dressed in his full uniform. Former colleagues and friends coming out to wish him well in his fight with ALS. They saluted him. They, he had to lift his arm because his right side is not doing so good, but he, he looked pretty handsome in his uniform and got his arm up there to salute them. No, it was an awesome day, wasn't it, sweetie? Yeah, it sure was. Yeah. It was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for yours. I certainly felt the love from everybody that came. This one was the original helmet in 1977. Ron spent three decades battling fires before moving up the ranks. Now his fight is for ALS patients and an organization which is pushing Health Canada to approve a potentially promising new drug that could dramatically slow down the progress of the disease. It doesn't have to be too late for Ron or other people. If they can get this to market right away, we can't wait anymore. We dragged people out of buildings for 30 years. Now I can't even do up a shirt button. So it's pretty frustrating. And um, it's a slow, slow, horrible death. ALS is taking its toll. Ron is having surgery to have a feeding tube inserted. It will get harder. But on this day, a chance to reconnect with some familiar faces. Thank you. Love you too. And to be reminded that he is not alone in this fight. Jay Durant, Global News. I, I can tell you that uh, his two boys, there's a lot of service in that family. His two boys, Darren and Tyler, have been honored members of Canada's military for many years mm -hmm. as well. We wish him the best. Sure do. It is not over yet. Mm -hmm. All right, let's check with uh, Christy for one more look at the weather before we go. Well, there's not really a lot to talk about for the next three days. You've got sunshine in the forecast. Just make sure you have your sunscreen, everyone, because UV index will be high. Keep it simple. I like that. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.